Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. <laughs> Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Dr. Carol Francis Talk Radio Show. Let's make life happen together with authors, scientists, researchers, both inside the box and outside the box of understanding so that you can live a life full of your success, curiosity, enjoyment, happiness, and richness of life in every respect. Let's go beyond our limits, and let's help others go beyond their limits as well. Welcome. One of the ways we go beyond our limits is to write a book. That's right. Whether it's fiction or fact, you need assistance being able to get your book out there. One person on Dan O'Brien's website says beautifully, Writing a book is about paradigm shifting and progressive social changes. And that may be the purpose of your book, or maybe it's just for entertainment. But today you're going to meet Dan O'Brien, who can help you shepherd you through the process (laughs) of getting your book well done and out so that people can enjoy the paradigm shift or entertainment you choose to bring to them. I introduce you, Dan O'Brien. Hello, how are you today? Very well. Thanks for having me on the show. Okay. Well, where do you want to take us first? You are um, the, the proud owner of Amalgam Publishing. You've written 15 books enjoyably. I've been able to read through far too rapidly, I'm sorry to say, about six of them. And they're enjoyable fiction. They're lively. They're full of heroic moments and breathtaking. <gasps> What's going to happen? And uh, it's just, they're very enjoyable, full of wonderful painted descriptions. And then you have this publishing company that helps people get their materials out. So with all of that as your background, to just begin with, where would you like to start introducing people to you? Well, I always kind of like to start with, with the obvious stuff, which is if you have a book in you, you want to put it out. And it's, it's never been easier to do that. And uh, there's a lot of tools out there. There's a lot of folks like myself who uh, can help you through the process. But the process itself has changed and, uh, and changed enough that you've got to pursue that dream. You've got to weather the storm of uh, maybe feeling like you, you don't have that book in you or that writing a book is too scary or that publishing a book is too scary and to kind of get that off the plate first. So, you know, you, you, read, you read authors that you really like and you want to produce a story like that and, and maybe you have that book already done. You know, there's a great quote, and I can never remember who said it, but the greatest novel in the world is unpublished because it's sitting on you know, some writer's bookshelf. So if you have that book, get out there and publish it. Mm. All right. But it's a little scary for some people. Most, I think, fear. <laughs> Dan, what do you think of this? Fear is usually a byproduct of not knowing what in the world to do. Um, sure. You seem to have the past and the means to be able to take people through that process. Not only once they've gotten the ideas down on paper, but taking it from... Yeah, I just on the paper to the next level. So what are some of the steps you recommend after the book is at least on paper or inside your computer? Sure. A lot of people, like you said, fear is usually the, the largest roadblock. And a great way to hedge that is to start to share that book. So, uh, you know, join a writer's group, 
uh, give it to some people you trust to kind of read and beta read it for you, uh, and kind of get some feedback because uh, no draft is, is complete and publishable that, that first time around. So it's going to be a process, and the best way to jumpstart that is to uh, you know, use people you trust to uh, you know, let, you, let you know what they think about the book. You, know, you, don't, you don't need to get it polished immediately, uh, but it doesn't hurt to have a friend or your mom or you know a sister or brother you know read it over and, and give you their honest opinion about it. <laughs> well, at least it's honest as they dare. Right. So yeah, the sure, next of thing, <laughs> you know, publishing has changed a lot, but there are some things that haven't changed. You need to write a book that's easy to read that people want to read. Is that fair Absolutely. to say, or is that too simplistic? No, you know, a lot of the, the best ideas are simple ideas. Uh, you know, I think most people kind of find um, it, it's not easy. It's a simple idea. It's a very simple idea to say, you know, tell a story that people want to read and that they don't want to put down, uh, and that makes sense from beginning to end. You know, don't write a story that is trying to be something, you know, maybe more than it really is. Uh, but sometimes that's not as easy to do as you might think. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think there is a sense of it that is, you know, just getting it down on paper that first time. You know, I, I like to say, you know, word vomit and then edit. <laughs> and that's all it is. You know, it's over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, and just get that idea on the page uh, and then start to turn it into, like you said, a story that, you know, people want to read. People will, no one's going to find your book. And I, you know, I'm always really fond of saying this, you know, readers don't come to you, you have to go to readers. Uh, so the first mm-hmm. step in having that is, is creating a product that when you take it to readers, they're going to want to read it, and they're going to want to share it, and they're going to tell their friends, and they're going to want to let everybody know and shout it from the rooftops. And uh, you know, that does start with what you said, uh, you know, writing a story that people want to read. Then the next step, of course, is editing. I don't know, Dan, how many times you edit your books, but I, 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 it's no less than 20 times for me. Every, <laughs> every chapter goes through so many rewrites that the first one the content might <laughs> right. be a little bit like the first time, but it's changed in so many ways by the time I get to that 20th version. But how? But what is editing like for most people? What do you recommend in terms of being able to, you know, polish things up enough to you to send it to a publisher or contemplate publishing it yourself? Sure. To me, there's at least three layers, you know, three different types of, uh, of editing that it doesn't really necessarily have to do anything with drafts just the kind of editing, editing you can do and content, line, and proofreading. And they kind of you know, all serve a different purpose. Proofreading is that basic readability. So when you read through it, does it sound right? It has a, a texture. Does it have the correct texture? When you go through line editing, we're talking about grammar, syntax, sentence structure. And then content editing is that, well, does the plot make sense? You know, if character A did blank on page 20, and if you do you know, something on page 40, does it make sense? Does that characterization make sense? Um, but, but drafting and editing is one of those things that's difficult for, especially first-time writers, I think. The more you do it, the better acclimated you get to the process, uh, and the easier it becomes, the more intuitive it becomes. Uh, but editing is one of those things that you can do a lot of the work yourself. You can make it as clean of a copy as possible. Um, I always suggest, and a lot of writers do, and, and definitely a lot of professionals and you know, great writers who have sold tons of books, you know, read your work out loud. You'll never mm-hmm. know how it sounds until you hear it spoken by someone, even if it's yourself. If you can get somebody else to read it out loud, that's even better, because uh, then you're putting some mm-hmm. distance between it. Uh, 
but definitely edit as much as you can. And uh, you know, seek out a professional editor if you're going to approach a major publishing house, or if you're thinking of taking you know the self-publishing plunge. And I know you're not tooting your own horns, but Dan, this is something that you do for people, right? Folks, this is Dan O'Brien. He's written a book, Publish Your Dreams, and it is an incredibly useful book full of details about how to get your book out there, and it is a very pleasant read. Um, you, you definitely practice what you preach in terms of quality of writing. So you do this editing for people. What, what, what's involved in the role you play uh, by the time people say, here's my, my materials, what do you do with it after they hand it to you? Sure. I, I like to try to make it as painless as possible. And I know like I talk to a lot of editors out there. Everybody kind of has a different process. Uh, so for me, the first question I always ask is, what do you want from your book? And that kind of informs me what they want me to do with it. So some people are just like, no, I just polish it and make sure it sounds right because I'm just going to upload it. Or somebody else says, no, I want, I want this thing to sing. You know, I want everything to make sense. I want rich characters that are developed you know, throughout the prose. Uh, so it really differs depending on the book. But traditionally for me what I do is I just, they'll send me the file. Uh, I'll go through it, track changes, things like that. I usually always format it for publication uh, just mm. because I know that could be a hassle for a lot of people. Uh, and it's kind of simpler so that we don't have to deal with uh, some of the strange template interfaces they have on lighting source and create space and things like that. Um, but for me, I try to make it very simple. I get suggestions, comments, fix everything, and then explain to them that you know, editing, just like writing, is a process. And it's most effective when there's a back and forth. So I do an edit, give it back to the author, they go through it, they decide whether or not they like the changes they've made, maybe they amend things, and they give it back, and I go through it again, look at what they've changed. And they kind of go back and forth with that process until you know, they're satisfied, because in the end, it's their book, it's their vision and I want it to be something they're proud of and that they want to put out there in the world. And you know, sometimes that's irrespective of quality. But to me, what's most important is that they're confident in it because marketing the book is 90 to 95% of the battle. So you want to have something that you're not afraid to walk up to a random person on the street and say, hey, have you read this book? You really need to read this book. So uh, editing to me is kind of a conversation. Uh, and it's mm -hmm. best done when it's a conversation. Mm-hmm. And, and I do agree. When I read your book, 95% of your book, if you want people to experience your paradigm shift or your entertainment, you've got to know about marketing or you have to hire someone that does. So, yeah, I mean, publishing these days almost seems less complicated than marketing, whereas before publishing, <laughs> finding a publisher used to be the key factor because the publisher would handle all the marketing. Not so much now. Yeah, it, it, it kind of seemed that way. I started out in traditional publishing with a, you know, a now defunct kind of smaller press uh, because of the shift to self-publishing. And what I really, uh, you know, what really drove it home was I, I'm not a household name. I'm still not a household name. Uh, but definitely when I was, you know, 19 and I published my first book, nobody knew who I was. Uh, so the amount of marketing that the publishing house did was was pretty limited. You know, they put me in catalogs. And, in, and they sent me lists. They said, here's a newspaper list of uh, you know, courteous and nice media types that you can send a, you know, a template to or, or, or an email to, or you know, call them up on the phone or send them a letter. And I realized that a lot of the you know, boots on the ground type of idea of marketing your book was left to the author. The difference was the support system. You know, with the traditional mm -hmm. publishing house, you can get somebody on the phone and say, hey, I don't get this. You know, can you explain to me who I should be contacting? And you know, they might be busy. You might get someone who doesn't care. 
but you're still going to have that support system. You need, the idea of you know having those conversations and having access to things being a conversation is, is to me what changed most. Because now you're right, publishing is simple. It's you know it's a, it's a one click, it's a turnkey process, uh, and marketing feels like you're kind of in the wild west. You're kind of out on you know stormy seas by yourself. Um, and, and there's something to that. There's something about having the confidence to, to weather that, anyways. Um, but yeah, the marketing is definitely the larger part of the battle because uh, writers, you know, we're, we're, we're mostly cave dwellers. We want to like hang out in the dark and type away our books and you know, kind of slip them out the door and hope people grab and run through the streets with them. But uh, that's not an effective model if you want to be traditionally successful at books. If you want to sell a lot of copies, yeah. if you want to get people to read it, you got to get out there. Is this something that you do for people? Is you actually get out there for them, or you organize their marketing process as a, as a, a book shepherd, or a <laughs> Right. Do you help them with uh, that marketing aspect of things? I do, but I always like to, you know, I'm all about a conversation. I went through graduate school in psychology, so part of me just <laughs> being an academic for a little bit, I just couldn't get away from it. Um, but I like to advocate, you know, doing as much as you can on your own before you hit that ceiling and have to pay somebody. Because uh, it's really unfortunate to pay a, you know, a marketing professional $25, $30, $50 an hour to do something that, you can definitely do on your own, uh, and doing on your own builds, you know, the, the, the kind of character, the kind of author, the kind of brand you're going to be, uh, and, and you can learn to see where that ceiling is, where it's not cost effective for you to do that anymore. But, but you know, I'm always open to helping people, and uh, what I what I like to do is to give them a marketing plan more than do it for them. So sit down, you know, in a meeting for an hour or two on the phone, or you know, over an email, talk about the book, talk about the identity of the book. I talk about their identity as a business person and an author, what they're comfortable with, and then how to go about setting up, uh, you know, radio interviews and, and book reviews and book interviews and papers, and you know how to run a little bit of advertising, how to write effective, you know, ad copy, you know, before they pay a professional fifty an hour to only sell a book or two, when you're only making two or three dollars, you know, a book in royalty. So it's to me, it's always about that conversation, trying to make, you know empower the person to feel like, you know, you can do this and uh, go as far as you can and get enough confidence and you know build your brand and build your sense of self before you, you know, start showing out uh, a pretty large marketing budget. Okay, so we are talking to Dan O'Brien and his website, amalgamconsulting.com, A-M-A-L-G-A-M-C-O-N-C-S-U-L-T-I-N-G. Dot com, amalgamconsulting.com. Well, Dan, I've got so many more other questions for you, so we're just going to continue here. I do want to get into understanding more about your fiction books, but let's continue the discussion on marketing and talk about – I'm going to put out uh, a marketing phrase, and I want to see what you would recommend people to do. Okay, social media. <laughs> social media. Wow. How do you market social, to social media? <laughs> social media has become this just – you know, complete parade of people screaming as loud as they can um, get your attention. And, and there are, you know, it, it's always evolving. So, you know, it used to just be with Facebook and then Twitter came along and I see things like Tinder and Instagram um, that, that are kind of taking over the social conversation. But really the most important thing to me is do what you're comfortable doing because it, it'll show to readers and it'll show to, you know, potential people that you're getting in contact with if it's fake or if it's, not an honest attempt at trying to, to get them engaged with your content because I keep using this word conversation over and over and over again. I didn't realize I was going to use it so much, but I am. Um, social media is best done when it's a conversation with a potential audience. So it's not a one-on-one -on -one necessarily, but people who are involved with it feel like 
they're engaging in a real way. You're giving them content that they're interested in, and they can come back at you with whether or not they liked it, or they can comment on it, or they can you know, take it to another level. You're not going to be able to do that on all kinds of social media, um, especially if you're not comfortable with it. So I know a lot of folks, I help a lot of, I know people in their 50s and 60s and 70s put out their books, and you know, they're, they're just new to social media, and they're new to the idea of using digital marketing. So they shouldn't be jumping on Twitter and trying to use hashtags and you know, creating really effective 160 character type of copy. They should go to the ones they're comfortable with and work on cultivating it and building a conversation there. Uh, but, if, but if you're deaf and you're happy with it and you can get excited about social media, be as, as present as you can everywhere. Pinterest, all of it. Just, just get out there and keep the conversation going. Because I always joke that you know, we're a, a fishbowl on the Internet, and we're all a bunch of goldfish, and we have about a three-second you know, three attention span. If we look away for a second, <laughs> we forget that there was something over there, and it's on to the new thing, and it's on to the new thing. And, and using that as a model, we need to be in as many places as possible, sending out an effective message to keep a collective attention, to keep the ball rolling, to keep buzz, that you know, kind of old marketing word that's been around since probably the late 70s, early 80s, uh, that means different things when you're looking at social media. That's just being very present. You know, I, I spent, um, I'd say I spent about six months taking social media, how to use social media classes. And I'd say that those six months were very valuable, accessing as many teachers, mentors, information sources as I possibly could. And because there's so many hidden aspects to understanding how to gain your, your, your profile in each of the mm-hmm. different regions, whether it's YouTube, Google+, Plus, uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, dot, 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 just on and on and on. That each right. of them have a different personality. Each of them you can reach your specific audience for your books. Clearly, they're there. Mm-hmm. But you have to know how to weave and, and, and move in between. When you mentioned that you want people to be comfortable with, I don't know, Dan. This is my reaction. See what you think. Sure. There's nothing comfortable about publishing your first book and marketing it. It is awkward and cumbersome, and the learning curve is complex, and there's, uh, there's a sense of, oh, goodness, this is so much bigger than I am. But that's part of the effort of publishing and marketing your book is realizing how to be bigger than you thought you were and tackle sure. these so that they become your tools. And I don't know, Dan, but I don't think that's comfortable to anybody. So I don't know if I'm going to recommend people stay in the comfort zone. But what bounce uh, off of that with me? What do you think of that? It, it's not so much about comfort zone. It, I, I treat it like learning a new language. If I decided I was going to learn a new language, I wouldn't learn seven new languages at once. I would learn one at a time. And I would try to keep each language within a family of languages that makes the next language easier to learn. So if I wanted to learn French, I would learn French and Portuguese and Spanish. Now the Romance languages that go together, if I want to learn Scandinavian, I would love the Norwegian and other Nordic languages. Um, it's not necessarily about being comfortable. It's about doing the things that are going to be effective for you. Um, for a lot of people, mm-hmm. I know that they're very nervous speaking in front of you know, groups of people. I'm, I'm not personally, but some people are. It, it would be unwise and not very effective to start your campaign by getting in front of people and spending a series of uh, you know, engagements and a series of events not being very effective at getting your message across. It's not that you shouldn't do it. It's that you should build into doing those things once you have the confidence with 
the overall structure of putting together a marketing plan or making marketing a part of your day or a part of your daily endeavor to be successful as an author. So I'm using that word comfort kind of loosely, um, not necessarily that uh, you should only do things that you would approach otherwise. It, you're right. It's all going to be kind of uh, difficult and strange and foreign and, and, and not, it's not going to feel natural. Just like any other behavior, for, to look at behavior modification and try to do something new if you want to start working out, part of doing that is just adding it to your day a little bit every day. So if you wanted to work out every day, you wouldn't do it right after you got off, off of work or, or, or somewhere where it would be inconvenient. You would choose a block of time where you, that you already have available and then build it very slowly over time, adding a little bit at a time. And so I kind of see you know, social media and marketing in general in that kind of same way. Um, don't like to take on more than you can handle you know, right out the get-go. Um, and then build from a place of, I feel like this is manageable, and then make that you know, uh, larger pool of manageable things you can do uh, you know, bigger each time and, and always continue to grow, uh, but keeping in mind that you want it to be fun. The, the moment any of this stops being fun, whether it's writing or publishing or marketing, uh, it, it's not a worthwhile endeavor anymore because if, <laughs> if you don't go into it for love of it, most people don't make money at this is the unfortunate part. And the people that do and that's the people that are successful, it's because they keep with it. And uh, mm -hmm. so you, you want to like the process <laughs> you know, as much <laughs> as you can uh, because that, that, that's a long-term goal. Just like, like with any business, you're thinking 18, 24 months down the road before you start to see a return on your investment. So to stay that course, you've got to kind of be excited or at least comfortable with kind of one foot in front of the other for some period of time. But that was a very long-winded answer to that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and basically it sounds like you're very careful to make sure that people don't get discouraged uh, from the get-go, that they feel like they can put it within sure. their, their, their know-how to do sort of things in the moment so that they don't get discouraged. And I think the wisdom of that is so many people have books inside of them, but they feel like the process is so formidable, they don't even start mm -hmm. enjoying getting the first page out. And you're trying to say, don't don't make this bigger than you are. Fit it within what you already have in your paradigm, and then you'll go along with the right. paradigm shift as you grow exactly, with the process. Yeah. Uh, sounds like a, a wise thing to say. Okay, here's another term. You ready? Amazon.com. Sure. <laughs> what do people Amazon. do about Amazon.com? Again, your book on there. Amazon, Kindle and Amazon.com specifically have made it so easy to get your book on there. And I, I hate that word easy because I use it and it doesn't mean the same thing because what I think is easy is opposite context driven. But what they've done is create a very user-friendly interface through Kindle. The reality is 70% of books that are sold digitally are, are sold on Kindle. Um, the downside to it is you can publish on Kindle in like 10 minutes. <laughs> and so you don't really think about the individual constituent parts. So, you know, category matters, keywords matter, your description matters, uh, an attractive cover matters. So just like with anything else, Amazon is a tool. All of these things are tools, and using them effectively should always be the goal, just like anything else in the world. So I, I love Amazon. I mean, I, I make a decent amount of sales from Amazon. It's kind of my bread and butter in a way. I sell more digital books than anything. So I, I don't have an unkind word to say about Amazon. Uh, but they have definitely changed the way we look at publishing. And I think for a lot of people, that's the easiest place to start. So the best way to make an ebook, and I'm going to give away some you know, kind of free advice here for people you know, that they can decide to use it or if they don't, if you have a book that doesn't have any images in it, the easiest way to make 
a book that's print, you know, ebook ready is when you're saving your book and you're going up to Save As, and there's a little drop down, and you can choose Word document, PDF, whatever it is. Choose Web Page. It will create a .html document. There you go. You just created the Kindle book. If you upload that, you know, to the Kindle interface, you have a print, you know, a print ready, ebook ready book on Kindle. So it's really that simple. Because it's that simple, you, you should take stock, and I should caution you a little bit and think, okay, well, that's a little too simple. What else do I need to do? So knowing it's that easy, look at everything else that's on there. Think about, well, what is my book most similar to? And then put it in categories accordingly. What kind of keywords are people, you know, if you're writing a young adult fantasy novel similar to Divergent or uh, uh, like Hunger Games or something like that, go check out the kind of keywords they're using. Check out the categories they're in. And most importantly, check out what they're pricing it at. Uh, and where you feel comfortable pricing your book based on the quality of the book. Did you get it professionally edited? Do you have a really nice cover? So get all those moving pieces in place and then use you know, the tool that is Kindle, which can be a very effective tool, uh, accordingly. Again, a very long-winded answer. <laughs> so do you recommend that people use the Amazon uh, print? I mean, they have a, a book publishing, how to self-publish on Amazon. Or, or do you feel like self-publishing is something to watch out for? Or what is your take on things like Balboa.com or Alulu.com, which are common ways to right. uh, have your books published, printed, uh, or available upon demand? So what are your takes on all that variation of things? I kind of feel like everybody's decided to be to become a publishing house or to invent a publishing house. So to me, the, the two PODs that I feel are the most safe, and you'll get critics on either side, it's going to be create space or license source. Uh, and, and I use those two as the models because both of them go through Ingram, Baker, and Taylor in terms of distribution. So your book's going to get in catalogs. It's going to be available through the major chains, you know, what chains that there are left. As you get further away and, and separated from these kind of two major players in the field, it gets a little wonky. You know, I'm a little less comfortable uh, advising people to do that uh, or, or to kind of get out there and you know oh, maybe play the field on those. Yeah, oh, Dan, what were the two major players? Because I'm having a hard time hearing you. Actually, if you could put your phone a little closer to your oh sure. Yeah, what, uh, were, the, create what were the two major players and, that you were? Oh, create space and lightning source. Okay. And those are usually create the two people who use Create and space, Yeah, create, okay. like to create something, space, like an open area, uh, and then lightning source. And create space okay. is Amazon's imprint, and lightning source is Ingram's imprint. And so those are two major oh. retailers, two major distribution systems uh, that are providing a POD service. Any of the other okay. ones, are you know working with those same distribution channels, but there are a few degrees of separation away from it, and I just okay. trust them less as a result. <laughs> Folks, that clue that he just gave you is is worth gold. So, <laughs> so, so now and and then, do you feel like they provide you that type? You started off the program saying it's nice to have a publishing house that will give you, you know, hold your hands. Do you think these organizations provide that as well, or? Is that when you come into the picture and say, look, I can answer your questions, help you through these processes? Yeah, they'll provide some semblance of a support system uh, and, and you know, some kind of architecture for it. I wouldn't recommend it. I would recommend uh, treating it like it's a tool. It, it's a great place to get your book printed, you know, either of those resources. 
and a great place to get that printed book and distribution channels. Uh, the people that work for it, you know, it's for profit in the end. So the people they hire to answer the phones or the people they hire to uh, take care of the book don't really know much about your book. They're going to give you generic answers based on form answers, based on uh, what people have done in the past. So my best suggestion, produce the highest quality product you can. And then research, because honestly, I mean, I realize I wrote a little book about it, and it's an e-book, and I always want people to buy it. But all of that information is, is available in the world if you just go look for it. it. Google is fantastic. You can find everything on Google that you can ever need to know uh, with a little bit of research. So in terms of a support system, I say find a group of other writers if you decide to self-publish who have also self-published, and build yourself a little tribe. Build, build yourself a little network and then learn to use that network to answer those questions and to, and, and to seek out the kind of answers you need um, before you appeal to an expert. Because this goes back to me with the marketing idea. A lot of the, the opening throws of self-publishing, while scary, while uh, seemingly insurmountable, are manageable. And not only are they manageable, you can do them. It is very, very well within your power to, to be able to do them. And it's important to kind of do them so you can start to see the lay of the land. You can decide, well, this guy is kind of a shyster. Well, I like what this person has to offer. I feel like it has some value to me, and I would share it with other people. So for me, it's very, very important to learn to kind of be self-sufficient because self-publishing changed the model. Uh, you used to be able to depend on an agent or depend on an editor at a publishing house because they were reputable. <laughs> they're part of an organization that has an ethical code, uh, and, and they're held responsible by their peers for that. That's not the case in self-publishing. It is the Wild West in a way. And so finding other people that you feel like you can trust who are in the same boat and using each other to build a life raft and to build a support system, uh, to me, has much more value than depending on any of the entities that have kind of popped up uh, as a tool, specifically, to help you publish. That's beautiful. Now, when people want to contact you, Dan O'Brien, <laughs> What's your preferred way of being contacted? We're going to continue with the interview, but what's your preferred way of being contacted? Uh, I'm more of an email guy because I'm always kind of working at my computer. I work out of my home, out of my office. So email is always simplest. I, you know, obviously, I do have a phone. I'm talking on the phone. Um, but I have a tendency to not answer it as much simply because I get a lot of calls and I would just be on the phone all day, and that's, that's a bit much for me. Um, through the website, <laughs> there, there's a contact form. You can absolutely use that. That sends my major uh, business email. Um, but, but email in general is, is what I prefer. Okay, so that's amalgamconsulting.com. And you can get through the email through amalgamconsulting.com. Now you also have a, a, a type of what, what it's called the Northern California Perspective, which is the first of mm -hmm. my regional anth anthologies. That's what you write here. What is that about? I used to work at a, uh, a local magazine here that was attempting to be an international uh, type publication. I was their senior editor and marketing director. And uh, up here in Chico, it's kind of a small, well, it's coming to 120,000 people. I think it's small. But I guess this happens just in California. That, that seems small. But uh, it was a relatively rural community, and people here didn't really get why they would advertise in a magazine that's distributed in Germany. They wanted something kind of local. They wanted something that was kind of their identity. So I had this idea of regional anthologies that take into account quality writing you know, across poetry, nonfiction, fiction. That's specific to a region. So the Northern California perspective kind of was born out of that. Here are the people I know here from campus who are 
professors who went through the, you know, the MFA programs up here, we all kind of thought it would be a neat idea to highlight Northern California writers. So it, it, we have one issue out now. We're taking submissions for the second issue. Um, and it's going to kind of, it, it's a labor of love. Uh, none of us get paid for it. You know, there's really no advertising it in it because I'm not a, a huge fan of, you know, ad-based business models for, you know, publishing. Uh, but, you know, it, it's going to be one of those things, maybe eight issues, ten issues down the road, maybe it could be something kind of neat. But, but right now it's this really interesting uh, experiment in, you know, regional or community publishing. That's so interesting. Well, I, uh, over and over you keep clearly indicating, Dan, that you love to write and that you've gotten yeah. into this entire realm of writing and publishing and marketing and editing and working with independent authors because you love to write, bottom line. So tell us what it's like. Oh, my gosh, it's such an unfair question. But tell us what it's like to dive into writing a fictional novel. It, it, it's probably the best feeling in the world in a way. And I, I think a lot of people, we love the idea of traveling. We love the idea of novel experiences where we don't have to be ourselves. Where A lot of people like to be able to disappear into a crowd. And writing fiction is like doing that. For, for a period of time, you get to inhabit an entirely different world, and, and you don't have to be you. You can be someone else. And the best books are when you know an author attempts to take on the personality or the characteristics of their characters and, and try to live in their worlds for a while. So the immersive world building, there's nothing better. I read this gigantic tome um, that you know it, it, it is reviewed all right, and it, it sells some copies here and there because of marketing. Uh, but, but it was a wonderful experience, and that's why I keep doing it, because for six, seven months while I was writing it, that was it. I would come home from work, and I would just spend four, five, six hours a night until I fell asleep at the computer and just stay in that world and, and, and build it and live it and, uh, and try to make it real, try to make it palatable to, to people who you know, weren't me, who, who aren't in my headspace, who don't have that privileged cognitive access, as a psychologist is so fond of saying. And, and it's, it's just a wonderful... And it's addictive. <laughs> that, that might be the most important <laughs> part. Every book begets another book, and all of a sudden you just, you know, I have whiteboards in my office that are just full of ideas of the next book, and it's kind of embarrassing because I think, you know, I'm 32 now. Like, how long is it going to take me to finish all these? You know, this is, you know, a lifetime's <laughs> worth of work. And then how many more books are going to be up there in the next 10 years or, you know, tomorrow? How many books am I going to come up with between now and then? Uh, but, you know, immersive and addictive. So if I were to use two terms to describe writing fiction, that, that's definitely it. It's beautiful. I actually find it really hard to write fiction. <laughs> oh yeah, I've tried. I mean, I've written I've written like ten books, and and I love writing. I I could write twenty four seven, but to sit down and create a character and a plot around it, or it, to me, it just feels weird. I kind of look at it and go, "This is just not flowing." <laughs> so I go back to my other times to write. But um, it's so it's a different mindset, I think, altogether. But when you're in that mindset, you probably don't realize that it's, uh, you know, it, it's kind of befuddling to those of us who don't understand the art of creating the fiction of life. Um, sure, you know, I could. So, see that. The, pardon me. Oh no, I could definitely see that. Hmm. So you have a lot of books out, and I'm looking at your website where you have bitten Karelian dreams, a path of the fall and the journey, and I could go on and actually really a very long list of of books and very enjoyable the way you write. But how about this? Prepare to give me a passage, one of your favorite passages from one of your books so that people can hear 
the style and the drama and the development of character and the way you put a reader into the scenario, both with the personalities as well as the environment, the smell, the, the way the air and the sky and the lighting is. It's very, uh, it's transcendent into your imagination. So are you ready with a favorite passage from one of your books? <laughs> let me grab one. I, I'll have to find one real quick. Let me, let me. Oh, see, I have one in front of me here. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a book I wrote called The Journey, and that's that's kind of what I'll read from. Um, okay. And it's a book that I don't sell, you know, a ton of copies of, mostly because it's a bit odd, but uh, but but it's one that I really really like. So, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll read from that one real quick. <laughs> Let's see here. Okay. I'll do maybe about a page. Does that sound good? Pageish. Uh, let's go. Let's go for it. Let's hear the drama of the moment. All right. <clears throat> like waking from drifting dreams, he opened his eyes. Bleached white desert extended for as far as his eyes could see. His bare feet felt no heat from the sands, but instead of resolute coolness that frightened him. The sun beamed overhead. Broad tendrils of a mighty star crawled across the entire desert, leaving nothing unturned. The lonely place one foot in front of the other committing him farther and farther toward an unknown destination with each step. The desert sand swirled and danced in places. Translucent columns of warm air and sand maneuvered side by side like darkness teasing the setting sun. The lonely watched as the shadows in the distance took shape. The oasis was magnificent. Tall bronze walls rose high into the sky. It was higher than the lonely could perceive without shielding his eyes from the blistering sun overhead. Twisting columns of undulating stones stood guard at the steps of the monolith. The lonely stepped from the cold white sand onto the hot stone steps of the structure. Had he been able to react to the pain, he may have cried out with the suddenness of the temperature change. Instead, he gazed up at the mounting stone windows and decks that rose into the air and hung as sand-colored clouds. The steps crept crept into shadow and the lonely paced with them. Beneath the overhang of the monolith, the lonely was given a reprieve from the heat. Music waltzed over the air. Drums beat. Horns flared. A cacophony of sound and rhythm floated over the air like so many stratums on a fall day. The lonely moved closer to the massive twin doors that framed the overhang beneath which he had found himself. And uh, that, that, that's, that, that's a passage from one of my, uh, probably my favorite book I ever wrote, but it's, it's a little philosophical, it's a little, you know, uh, poetic. I, uh, I I really, that was one of the books I had a chance to, to go through. Here's a passage that to me describes the way you describe human beings. His furrowed brows formed a sinister line over his cold brown eyes. Whew, I like that sentence. I had to read that a few times. <laughs> the solitude that encompassed him reflected in his frozen glare. Again, I just love the solitude that encompassed him reflected in his frozen glare. It's like I wanted to read these sentences multiple times. Because I wanted to yeah. internalize what it was you were you were conveying. Sure. I mean, we go to television, and we go to games, or we go to whatever animation that we're used to seeing. We can capture that so quickly, but here we have to go through the, the formality and to me the deliciousness of words as you capture it. And then you go down the corridor around him was bathed in shadow. Oh, you even got lighting in there, and the only light came from the glow of the planet below and faded illuminators that lined off lined far off into the distance. That paragraph told me. I went, okay, I'm in. <laughs> Where are you going to go from here? Um, That's good to hear. <laughs> so, pardon me? 
I said, that's good to hear. I'm, I'm happy to hear that. Yeah. So how do you take your fiction and sell it? I mean, how do you choose those pithy parts of it that say, okay, this is going to, like that paragraph did it for me. How do you mm-hmm. decide, okay, this is going to bring people into the story so they just have to read this book? Well, that's one of those questions that I always feel awkward answering because I really don't know. <laughs> so that's the honest answer. Um, I, you know, I'm pretty honest about my writing, and, and I'll put words down on paper when I'm going back through with drafts. I'll think, nah, that's crap. I'm going to cut it out. I'll think, ah, oh, I don't like that. I'm going to cut it out. And uh, there's probably a rhyming reason to it. There's probably an objective reason why. But I, when I'm reading it back through for drafts and when I give it to an editor, um, I kind of just listen to, to the feedback. And it, it, as, much, as strange as it sounds, I, I try to look for that lyrical quality or what kind of feeling it gives to me, or, or whether or not it conjures something visual. I, I do like the idea, and, and you kind of pointed it out in that passage um, specifically. I'm a big fan of painting a picture, um, and, and more importantly, as if it was a film. Like you, if you were watching a silent film, what it would look like. And, and that visual quality, or that visual saturation, is, is really, really important to me. Do you fear sometimes that the whole art of writing is going to disappear in favor of of our visual arts, movies, yeah. I mean, yes and no. I think art is one of those very, very strange things because every time we try to put our finger on it and say, you know, that's art and art does this and art, you know, evolves this way, it changes and it changes accordingly, like touching water and microbes swimming away. I, I think the written word will always have a place. I, I think it's probably going to change. Form changes over time. Um, but telling a good storytelling to me, is the major component of the written word. And I, you can tell a story with anything. I'll I, I teach kind of campus for a while and try to explain to a bunch of college kids, you know, why learning was a story and the narrative yeah. mattered. So how you heard the information, how you processed the information, how you saw the information. Did, did you see it in a three-act form? Did you see that there's a beginning foundational knowledge, there's the point at which the knowledge starts to make sense, and then the end of it at which you can draw conclusions about it that you couldn't in the beginning. Storytelling is important. Um, storytelling is what will remain. And so the form might change. I think written word will, will have a place, uh, but provided that storytelling never goes, you know, <laughs> um, out of favor with people, as long as storytelling is still in vogue, I think we'll be okay. I think it'll have a place. That's well, just interesting. <laughs> Folks, this is an excerpt from his book that actually will help you publish your book. Again, he writes so well. The name of this book, Dan, is uh, Publish Your Dreams. All Selena's aside, it is important to understand the time investment you are committing to by forging ahead to create a published work. Beholden to no one, a writer must learn to tame his or her muse in order to wrangle a book in existence. For if we become slaves to the muse, we are little more than empty marionettes with dangling strings. What a sentence to put into it helpful how to publish a book, but that is so true. And then farther down you say self-perception is really very key for writers. You have to take your writing seriously. What separates a writer, you say, is that they write even when they don't feel like it. Yes? Definitely. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, self-perception is key because... Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Self-perception is key simply because... Uh, 
just like anything else, if, you, if you're sitting and talking to someone, people can see your nervousness, people can see your anxiety. Uh, it comes out in your writing, it comes out in your marketing efforts. So you have to decide at some point that, you know, I'm going to be a writer. I'm, I'm going to work on it when it's tough. I'm going to write books when it's hard. Uh, I'm going to write even when I don't think I have anything to write. And I'm going to market when I don't feel like I have anything to say, but I want people to read my books because you have to go out and, you know, make people excited about it. So self-perception is, is, is very important. Uh, having that confidence in yourself as a writer, yourself as a uh, uh, you know, the bearer of this product that you're trying to share with the world. Um, it's it's not, you know, I, I think your first book is probably the biggest hurdle after the first book. It's it's like you say, okay, I know at least one of the paths to getting this job done. Now I can involve myself in the whole drama. And it is a drama from oh, the yeah. first word to the... Uh, the, the getting the book out there and knowing that it is actually being read and sold is, is a whole life of experiences that are about conquering being small into conquering a whole arena of people, getting yourself out there. What are some of the personality changes that people go through that you watch when you help them? I love talking about this because that's really my favorite part. The reason why I do this is because I mm-hmm. like – seeing someone go from being timid about their work or uncertain about their work to saying, no, no, I, I believe in this, and, 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 I, and I can take the lumps. Because that's the first big change, is developing that thick skin. You know, being able to take, everybody gets a one-star review. It's just the way it is. Someone is going to love you and hate you for what you do. Someone is just going to out and out dislike the way you write, uh, dislike the way you approach the world, dislike what you write about. And it's, it's horrible, uh, and, and people can be very mean, but that's why it's important to really know why you're doing this. You're in it because you love writing, and you're in it because you have a story to share. And provided that you know that, you start to build up that toughness. Um, you start to build up that, that sense of pride and self-esteem that you're going to need to do that next book, which is a little easier, and the book after that is even easier. Um, mm. But that, that transition into having the self-confidence to ask questions and, 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 and to give your opinion, because not everybody has all the answers. I certainly don't have all the answers. That's why I encourage a conversation. And I, I like it when a client goes, well, you say I should do this. Why should I do that? Why would I bother doing that? And that's so mm-hmm. important because understanding how, you know, I got to the idea of using blank as a, a tool or blank as a mechanism to be successful is equally as important as just having the information. Because if having the information was sufficient, I could just write a big treaty on how to do things. And people just pick it up and be successful. But it's not that simple. There has to be some experience. There has to be a conversation with yourself, with your fans, uh, and with other writers, uh, and in context. So I love it when people get confident to start asking those questions, start developing that thick skin, uh, and being comfortable to take their lumps. Because there's going to be plenty of people that are just going to be mean because they think criticism and being critical means being mean. And, and there's, there's enough people out there like that that you'll have to pass through a few of them, even if you're very careful. Well, well said, because how many rejection letters get piled up when you dare to be bold enough to try to put it under people's noses? To have your, you have to have your trophy of rejection letters somewhere in your, in your office. Absolutely. I used to have, uh, when I was first starting out as a writer, I used to put them on my wall. I used to tack them to my <laughs> wall. I had a whole wall full of rejection letters because I like to look at it and think, well, I endured that. I can keep going. One more is not going to kill me. <laughs> you know, there's, there's space over there on the wall that I haven't filled yet. 
I'll be all right. So, and that was important. It's like people see, uh, you know, the stars getting their uh, their Oscars and don't realize how mm-hmm. many times they have been criticized, told they're bad, told they're ugly, told they're getting old, uh-huh. told getting fat, told that they can't deliver a line. You know, just how many times has every single person who's on top received a whole lot of knocks? And, uh, exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a really funny quote yeah, you rolled the punches, yeah. There's a really funny quote that someone uh, is getting passed around, I think it's, you know, an attributed to Adrian Brody or something. And, and it's the idea that it takes 15 years to be an overnight success. Nobody yeah. just shows up to the party and, and, and is the biggest star there. It takes a long time of taking your lumps, rolling with punches, you know, sailing rough seas, whatever, whatever metaphor we like to use. Um, you just don't show up. You show up, you take the hits, you get your criticism, you get your feedback, uh, and you move with everybody else, and eventually you find a way, and you endure, and, uh, and you keep doing it for love of what you're doing, and, and then you, you get to reap the rewards of that somewhere down the line, provided you stay with it. It's, it's, it's another aspect of it is that, yes, of course you want people to accept your work. Number one, it's the only way you can sell it. But number two, because it is your baby, you've given birth to something so keenly akin to your interior, and therefore... People not liking it feels like a very personal hit. Sure. On the other hand, um, people not liking it can also can refine your tool, so that you can Absolutely. say, okay, this person's opinion was such and such, and to the degree that I can see it's relevant, not to shut me down or shut me up, but to improve my art, to take it as the fire or the the hammer that grooms the diamond or the fire that melts metal into mold it, it into something worthwhile. But that's a Absolutely. very mature attitude. <laughs> it's a very it mature is, attitude. Yeah. It, it is a very experienced attitude. And, and you're a thousand percent correct, even though there's no such thing as a thousand percent. But um, you're absolutely correct <laughs> because there's two things you said that, to me that are very important. Uh, you need criticism because you learn from it. But then you also need to be able to weed out what the criticism means. Someone just liking it because they have a personal preference means nothing. Um, some of the best reviews I've ever gotten were three-star reviews that were substantive. They said, man, I really liked when you did blank, but somewhere over here you kind of lost me. I thought, man, now why did I lose them? What did I, what did I do with the narrative there that made me lose a reader? And that helped. But someone said, oh, I hate blank. It's not helpful. They hate blank. They'll read, they'll read the next book then. But if, if there's something about the way I structured it or something, or the way I went about telling the story, that made them feel like they weren't a part of the story anymore. That's very important. That informs the process, and you're, you're absolutely right. It, it helps to maturate how you do, you do the next novel or how you do your next book, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, because in the end, you know, the, the, the number one rule to writing is you have to tell a story that people can follow, no matter what you know, genre it is or what form it is. Um, that's always the goal. So whatever you can do, whatever feedback you can get, whatever cruises you can get uh, that allows you to do that, you know, the more the better. <laughs> Whether it's move through it, takes you know, read it once, take what's valuable, and then throw it away. Um, yeah, very important. Very, very mature attitude, though. But, but yeah, very, very important. It does, it does draw the attention. I've never read a, a book where the author says, "Okay, now I know you're trying to follow this story, but I'm going to leap you across this chasm. Just come with me." <laughs> mm-hmm. I'll bring you back. Uh, but in essence, that's what you have to say if you're going to break the chain of, uh, tra- chain of thought for them. 
Well, sure. I'm going to put out some more questions here in terms of the type of marketing that people use. We've covered social media, Amazon, um, publish on demand, and now, uh, now how about video, television, radio? Sure. Uh, to, to me, one of the best things you can do is, is kind of what we're doing right now, uh, which radio interviews. Radio interviews are a lot of fun. A lot of people kind of think that radio is gone, but, but it's not. It just changed like anything else. Um, form changes. <laughs> uh, but keeping the conversation going is important. So as many domains as possible, YouTube videos, uh, TV advertising, uh, newspaper advertising, all of those things have you know, a lot of efficacy. But it's all about finding the right market for you. So, you know, I sell a lot of books, but I wouldn't put an ad in the New York Times <laughs> because they wouldn't care. It wouldn't make sense for me to do that. Uh, but I might mm -hmm. put an ad in my local paper because they're going to be very, very uh, receptive here. Or, you know, even in San Francisco because that's close enough uh, that they, they could be receptive to the idea of a local Northern California writer who's having some success with this. People love mm -hmm. success stories. So the more you can use that as a narrative uh, for your advertising and your marketing efforts in general, the better off you're going to be. Um, but in terms of you know the, the other marketing you can do, to me there, there's always going to be two camps, and that's kind of your traditionalist approach, uh, and, and then digital marketing, and they both have a, a time and a place. It's um, a, a really fun idea to use if, if you can you know figure out how to write appropriate ad copy, and if your your book fits, or classified ads. And uh, I have a, a client who wrote a book about his time spent in prison at the age of 79. Um, because he couldn't pay back some investors for a land developer project he was doing. And he wrote this really, really interesting book called The OG. Mm -hmm. And we're going to run classifieds, which are, you know, are you an octogenarian? Are you planning on going to prison? If so, contact blank. Because the idea of that a classified is very interesting. You know, what is that and why is that there? So <laughs> being kind of clever never hurts. And then looking at the cost effectiveness and your budget matters. So. Uh, things like this, these opportunities, you know, what we're doing here are just wonderful because they just cost my time, and I, I'm, I'm always excited to give my time to talk about things. So you have to mm -hmm. figure out what you're willing to spend, and then balance your marketing budget accordingly. Everybody feels like they don't have a marketing budget, but you do. You just have to figure mm -hmm. out what it is because three dollars is a marketing budget. It just isn't. It mm -hmm. isn't a ten thousand dollar marketing budget. You have to figure mm -hmm. out what you can do with what you have, and how to stretch that as far as you can to you know, turn three into six for the next step of your marketing budget and turn six into 12 for the next step. And, and that's an entirely different conversation, of course. But it's all, to me, it's all about planning. You know, it, it, writing a book is the same way. Having an idea of where your story goes makes writing a story that much easier. If you sit down and look at a, you know, a computer screen and you have no idea what you're going to write, it's going to take you forever. But if you know your characters are going to end up somewhere, well, then you get to go on that journey with them and tell their story. Marketing is the same way. You think about, well, I'm going to start locally, find out what local radio stations there are, find out what the local newspapers are and whether or not they do book reviews. Find out all the places around town that will let you do a reading or let you put books on consignment. There's all these very simple things you can do that fit this idea of you know, a stepwise marketing plan. You just keep adding another layer and adding another layer and adding another layer uh, that, that don't really cost you anything. It costs you your time. And it's about being effective and injecting it into your daily ritual of writing and publishing and marketing, which kind of cobbled together to become this huge beast. But it kind of needs to be that way because that's, that's how publishing has changed. How, how do you think about uh, YouTube where an author 
uh, might read a, a half of a, a chapter with some sort of a background and, and just pull the reader into wanting to read more about the book. Any I absolutely that? love those. Oh, I love those. I just never have the time to do them. <laughs> it's one of the things I always oh my suggest goodness. doing because if you have a computer, you can absolutely do them. It's very simple. Most computers come with a webcam now. Um, and yep. you know, most Windows and Mac-based you know, operating systems come with some kind of video editor. So you can, you can really make a video for nothing. And they even have a little bit of you know, limited animation. I think they're great. Yeah. It's like doing a reading out at a coffee shop. I just never seem to find the time to do that. And now that you're saying that, I realize I have it up on my whiteboard. Because I just put out a little uh, you know, animated, not animated, I put out an illustrated children's book about leprechauns and uh, this old man who finds a leprechaun under his couch and goes on one last adventure. And it's just you know, a little 40 page thing. But I, you know, I was going to do a reading with some animation because I, I have some of the drawings and I get to do an Irish brogue. And I, I just still haven't done it. It's on the board. It hasn't been done yet. <laughs> That's the reality <laughs> of marketing. You know, there's a plan. There's always pieces you need to be doing, um, you know, along with all the radio interviews that I, you know, I have to schedule coming up. And you know, readings around town, they're, they're all on the board. But, but video specific, I'm glad you brought that up. I, I think those are – it's so simple to do anymore. And, and we have such access to, to free software and free editing type software that – Take advantage of it while you can. Absolutely. Plus, you know, people actually can monetize that so they can make money off the reading of the book. And um, actually, this new generation is all about auditory and all about video. And mm-hmm. so for the, to be able to capture them in the auditory fashion is, uh, is truly something you have to do. Because you write in your book, uh, the, yeah, publish your dreams. You have to know your audience. You have to plan your marketing for your audience. And if that audience is on video and on YouTube, and uh, you've you got to go there. You've got to go to the coffee yeah, shop that they're visiting and sell them the brand of coffee that they're enjoying. And uh, you make, it, you make a, a pitch for George Takei and Anne Rice, that they're incredibly responsive to their readerships as well. Yeah, they, they have – I use them because their Internet presence is incredible, especially on Facebook. And you know, love them or hate them or you know, maybe agree or disagree with their politics or what they say about books. George Decay, I, I, I obviously liked him on Facebook, and I read every single post that ever comes up by him because they're always funny. And I realize he's not mm. talking to me, but it always feels like I'm a part of the conversation, even though there's you know, 14,000 other people who have commented on it. I feel like, no, I, that's funny. I get that. I'm going to comment on that, or I'm going to share that, because that's really neat. And Anne Rice specifically for books, I mean, she's you know, a, a multi-best-selling author. You know, I mean, she's a teacher in yeah. books. But she'll still, you know, review the occasional weird book or, or pop up, a, you know, a weird topic about publishing and in general. And I, I really appreciate that because a lot of authors kind of just disappear or, you know, their, their social media is more, you know, buy my book or check out this book or something like that. But having that conversation and keeping that conversation going, and it's hard because you don't come out of the gate with the ability to do that. Not everybody who's going to like your page or who's going to be on Twitter or who's going to you know, follow your YouTube channel is going to give you really interesting feedback or, or give you really interesting comments. They might just like it or share it. Uh, it takes some time to get a group of people who are going to show up to the conversation every time. Uh, but it means to stop trying. It just means you know, know that it's a process, and that process can take a long time. So basically, the takeaway from this is, is that I'm going to tell people to contact Dan O'Brien at Amalgam Consulting, uh, yeah. um, and to definitely get a hold of your book, Publish Your Dreams. It is very clarifying on so many different levels, 
And then I think we need another book from you, and it needs to be just as wonderfully written all about the specifics of marketing because you're so specific about the editing and right. you're so specific about how to go about even using your computer program to help you through things. And then you give these mm-hmm. wonderful, wonderful tips about marketing. But I want to hear all those details about marketing that you provide elsewise. So that's book number two. That's my pitch. Hey, but folks, hey, there if you haven't written a book, that. that means you need to contact him. It's Dan O'Brien at AmalgamConsulting.com. Okay, leave us with that pithy statement at the end of our program. What would you like to share? Uh, there actually is a book coming for that called Weathering the Storm. Um, that's going to be about effective marketing strategies. But the thing I'm going to leave you with is obviously Happy St. Hattie's Day. And if you want to grab a free <laughs> ebook, there's my illustrated leprechaun fantasy short called Conspirators of the Lost Sock Army in the Loose Change Collection Agency. It's free all day on Amazon. Um, and it's 40 oh, pages long, 80, yeah. 20 minutes to read. It's illustrated. It's a lot of fun. Everybody seems to really be loving it, and it's been trending. So go grab it. It's free. Oh, my goodness. Okay, now give that to me again. I'm going to go on Amazon right now and make sure that we all get there. What is it? It's uh, called Conspirators of the Lost Stock Army and the Loose Change Collection Agency. Conspirators. It's a a really wordy title. (laughs) Oh, there it is, though. It's right there. Conspirators of the Lost Stock Army and the Loose Change Collection Agency. I'm going on it, folks. You have got to do that. It's zero for Kindle purchase. And I am now the proud owner of it. I can barely wait to read it. Your writing is so enjoyable, so delightful. I'm glad we had a chance to get to know you. And, folks, I really do recommend that you contact him. He's a little bit on the humble side, and, well, it just makes it easier to work with him. But make sure you get in contact with him to help you with your book because your book could be another paradigm shift or at least something really funny and entertaining such as this Conspirators of the Lost Sock Army and the Loose Change Collection Agency. I can barely wait to read it. Thanks so much, Dan, for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's Dr. Carol Francis. Have a fabulous day. Go green in many ways. Take care. Bye-bye. Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer a hand clapper a high fiver I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.